0: Welcome to Season 2 from a Lancashire Lass with me, Lucy Baxter. Joining me today is Mike Ward, the Operations Manager from Lancaster Area Search and Rescue and in this episode we're going to be chatting all about what they do, how the rescue team operates and what ways you can help the charity. So welcome to the podcast Mike, how are you today?
1: Oh, I'm all right, thank you. Better than the
0: weather. We all are at the moment. It's miserable. So, first of all, why don't you just tell me what Lancaster Area Search and Rescue is?
1: Okay, so uh, Lancaster Area Search and Rescue is um, a surf life saving uh, accredited uh, flood rescue team. Uh, we also do terrestrial search and rescue and we are a charity run completely by volunteers Um we're on call 24 hours a day seven days a week uh, to respond to um, emergencies both locally and nationally and we work very closely with our uh um, you know primary um, rescue teams like fire and police mm-hmm. and
0: things and so what is your role there? What does operations manager mean at, at the charity? So, for one of a better word, I
1: suppose you would say I'm the gaffer. Um, basically, my job is to make sure that everything's um, in place, the club's functioning as it needs to be, and we're fulfilling what we need to do. Um, as uh, a search and rescue team. Obviously, there's a lot of training that goes involved. There's a lot of meetings and keeping um, networking going with uh, Mountain Rescue. Um, the Coast Guard, RNLI, and any of the other bodies that we may work with or alongside with and We regularly attend um, uh, the Lancashire SAR meetings and things like that uh, just to uh, correspond with one another about um, shouts we may have been on, things that are going on, events that are happening, and, um, yeah, just just general running of the, uh, of, the, of the search and rescue side of things.
0: So, like, in an ideal world, people wouldn't need you because they wouldn't need you know, if, if everyone was safe and kind of if these natural disasters sometimes and things didn't happen. But what type of events do you cover? I'm thinking, is it kind of like floods and, and missing people or what, what kind of things do you do?
1: Yeah, so it's a spectrum really. I mean, one of the things that I've got to emphasise to people listening today is that we're not a primary service. So we will always be called out uh by the police or the fire primarily for extra resources so we can provide boots on the ground the last shout that we went to was uh, an elderly lady and it was actually mountain rescue that comes as an additional resource they've been looking for this lady with dementia sadly and they just simply sort of find that she was well known locally and um, it was quite unlike her to go missing like she was uh, she had a routine so basically we were brought in to assist with this and we obviously follow um, all protocols set out and uh, we were able to follow instruction and, and and go go along with our teams and and help with the search which uh, came to a successful conclusion later on in the day she was uh, she was found very cold and wet she'd been out all night
0: unfortunately mm.
1: but um with the lancashire fire crews our team we were able to assist with the medical side of as our team also carry um, uh, a first responder level of medical uh, medical qualifications.
0: That must be so rewarding when you find a, a person, especially elderly. I always think it's so sad when they're kind of out, in you know, as it's coming into winter as well, like in the, the cold and the rain. Um, what's kind of the, the process then if you are trying to find someone? Do you kind of, obviously you'll know where they live and do you, do you kind of go mile radius or to where they normally go or what's the kind of process
1: so a lot of things when you're dealing with um, you know missing people it's about the intel really quite often if people don't want to be found then simply they won't be but if someone's uh, gone missing certainly because of medical conditions then really it's a case of uh, you know asking the right questions which to be honest with you, the pulsars which always lead these kind of searches. There are police search teams, uh, very knowledgeable about uh, the aspects of if someone's in their 80s, how far they could travel, what the possible directions could be. But as well, you're also looking at um, health conditions, people might be suffering from depression, they might be in what we call low moods. So as well, time can be the essence. So gathering all this information, and then looking at your local area and think right well could they be here could be there they might even uh, it might even have hit on an anniversary of a loved one dying so quite simply they might just be at a cemetery or something like that so then from there you spread the searches out if that hasn't come fruitful then you know you might get sightings so we have things where people are last seen and we have last known locations so there's the difference between where people think they have seen someone and actual positive sightings, and all you can do from that is then basically, as you said, work out from there and say, right, well, you go over there, you go over there, and you go over there. quite often with missing people, certainly if it's a protracted incident, you know, you're talking a lot of resources over a long uh, period of time, and um, you know, not all of them are a positive conclusion. Sadly,
0: no. Um. And then I guess, like, na- na- nature and things like that. So, like, when it's hot weather and people jumping into reservoirs and, and flooding, do you do things like that as well, like assisting with those? So, um, one
1: of the things that we're very keen on, and certainly personal to myself, um, is um, prevention. You know, the, the, the thing is we live on an island. We forget this all too often. And, you know, certainly in Lancaster we have great accessibility to the, Lake District, etc. But we have the River Loom that runs through Lancaster with several ways on. And anything, and, um, you know, even on a good day, um, you know, a nice hot day, we can attract anything up to 5,000 visitors onto the banks of the River Loom. Certainly over the COVID, uh, because obviously the staycation was, uh, was about, we mm. certainly saw increasing numbers. And because of that, um you know you have uh, you know heightened um, yes. risks because there's just more and more people out into the water so what we do during the summer we actually um, we do a campaign uh, supported by the police and local fire units called operation Bankside and basically you know we we do uh, lifeguarding patrols, is the best way of putting it, um, along the banks of River Luna. And what we do is, because of the weirs and everything that we have, we go down to local beauty hotspots and just um, make people aware of the hazards and dangers of open water swimming. Um, And, uh, you know, making sure that we, we, as I always say to people, we're not here to stop anybody having fun, but sometimes if you can educate people and give them the awareness of the dangers of water and what could happen, then sometimes they'll make the sensible choices themselves. And certainly here at Lancaster Area Search and Rescue, that's what we like to do, is is to help with that preventative uh, measures before it's even got there.
0: Definitely, and I mean, like you said, on an island, I mean, we've got what we've got the sea and the, the beaches. So, like near near me, we've got uh, well, you've got what Blackpool and Lytham St. Anne's, but then sort of you've got Formby and Crosby down there. And on designated beaches, they do have lifeguards when it's the weekends and things, but between certain hours, if you're gonna jump into the River Brock or the River Loon or wherever you are, there's you. You're not guaranteed, and because it's not normally a place people swim every single day, in. so it's kind of understanding, like you said, the the safe places, the non-safe places, what what dangers there are. Do you think, like at school, like children get get taught this enough, or or do you ever go into schools to kind of tell tell kids, you know, don't absolutely jump in a well? well, yeah,
1: absolutely. Sorry, um, the. The other thing that we do, um, and certainly the team have really expanded this, is uh, what we, we do a Young savers campaign. So every Friday night between 6 and 7 at uh, the local uh, health club 315. And we've now just recently moved into uh, at Morecambe Saltaire Leisure Centre. We do Young savers These are children between 5 and 15. And we teach them how to stay safe and around water. Uh, we do the r l s s uh, rookie lifeguard campaign, and we teach them how to act how to go for help, how to be safe themselves, and how to act in a rescue and you know make them aware of the of the dangers again all this is volunteer work that we do, but also um Usually during the month of June, uh, the drowning prevention week is on and we um, usually book up quite heavily, um, going into schools and doing uh, water awareness campaigns to assemblies and individual classes to make sure that we can spread the word of the dangers. But also, you know, we don't want to frighten anybody from going and enjoying it, but at the end of the day, water can be dangerous. And if it's not given the respect, then, you know, you can get yourself very quickly into trouble. So, if we can spread that education, then uh, the prevention stops. Operation things like Operation Bankside, mm. uh, pulling people out of the water.
0: Yeah. And so, how did you gain an interest in in working at the charity? And what was your, I suppose, sort of, did you have a career in this, or where's your interest come from?
1: So, um, I used to be a retained firefighter. At uh, Cumbria Fire and Rescue Service at Milthorpe. I did that for just short of 10 years. And within that, I worked um, as a home safety officer uh, doing fire prevention, things like that. And it's always been at the heart of a lot of the things I've always wanted to do, which is making people aware of, of dangers, but giving them the education so they can act upon it themselves. keeping other people safe because you know whether you're drowning or you know you're dealing with fireworks or whatever you know if people understand that you can enjoy these things but safely and if you understand the dangers and you've got the concepts of why the dangers then usually people will make the right choices and decisions to act you know accordingly around these things and um, certainly with my background uh, with the fire brigade it gave me a good you know, uh, knowledge to go into this side of things and um, work and help develop um, the search and rescue team that now is laser
0: And what equipment do you have there? Obviously, like you said, you're not the first port of call. The police, the fire brigade will be called first from the public um, and then they'll call on to you. What, what equipment have you got to assist and, and to help them?
1: So we... Um, We've got we've got a 4 x four vehicle and things like that. Well, that's that's pretty standard with a lot of rescue teams. But we have um, we have a boat uh, and we have uh, rescue sleds which can be operated in flood water and things like that. So they're just basically big inflatable de- devices that can carry people in and out of flood water. And as much as anything, our personnel are trained to deal with these situations. And quite often, as as we all know, local resources. Uh, can be stretched you know and certainly when you get an incident and you actually need more people what I like to think is that the police will turn to us um, to assist them wherever we can and help wherever we can so as much as anything we probably carry a lot of the same equipment and certainly flood rescue equipment um, as um, Mountain Rescue and Fire Brigade, etc. You know, we have stretchers, we've got uh, first aid kits we can carry oxygen, things like that. So it, it really for us, it's about supplementing those uh, statutory services, if that makes sense.
0: Yeah. How long has the charity been going then?
1: Um, I think we're into our sixth year now. So really as a, as a, as a rescue team, we're, we're real fledglings that way, but we've, you know, a lot of work has gone on, and, um, you know, collaborative work that we've done uh, with energy services has, has really brought us on leaps and bounds with everyone's awareness to us. So, um, yeah, you know, we, we, we continue to go, but as as as, as most volunteer services or, or groups or charities are, are dealing with, the current post-pandemic covid and, you know, we all, we're all all facing a different time now.
0: Mm, yeah, definitely. And I guess, did you notice in the pandemic when, you know, you could go out for that hour of exercise a day and you couldn't really, you know, restaurants were short, cinemas, et cetera, there was nothing to do but enjoy nature. Did you see a spike in calls and were you busier during that time?
1: I remember going into the, uh, the fire station at Lancaster and talking to them about the idea of launching Bankside, and they were so relieved about hearing this because they had a problem where, like I said, anybody, um, it was, I think it was, I think it was the May of the first, um, I think it was 2020, and there was, I think they recorded 7,000 people up and down the banks of the Lynn. Oh, wow. And as you can imagine, when you've only got two pumps going out of Lancaster, that's a lot of you know, pro- problems occurring very quickly. Yeah. And with no real backup or anybody there, they were they fully engaged and supported it straight away, which was absolutely fantastic. Um I think really, you know, when you say the spike, I, I think as much as anything, I think it was just people find out. It's like for us with the uh, rescue team, we also helped out with the local food bank distributing parcels. And I think a lot of people found uh, different ways to support one another, which was also encouraging. Mm. You know, I think, I wouldn't say the disasters were down, but I think the, the, the accidents were more, more to do with the fact that People were, you know, discovering places they didn't even know were in their local area, and we still find that now that you know people go back to these spots that they discovered. And certainly on a, on a warm summer's day, um, you know, all these beauty hotspots surrounded by water. We only need to look at the Lake District for a classic example of that. And um, these these places are still heavily populated.
0: Yeah, I mean, I always think as as soon as there's something extreme like the weather, you know, whether it's rain or heat, um there's always I always think there's more people and there's more danger for them, sort of in when it's hot, obviously the sea, but you've got like i like I said the reservoirs when it's raining you've got floods, and I think it's the extreme that's that people aren't aware of necessarily, you know, I think maybe twenty thirty years ago, I might be wrong, but like there wasn't as much you know extreme weather. it's like one day it's really rainy, one day it's really hot, like I don't know if it's climate change or whatever, but it's it seems to be. That we as as the people in, in Great Britain don't necessarily understand the weather and, and the safeties as much as maybe when it was a bit more the same?
1: I think it's I think nowadays, obviously with the media outlets that we have, it's certainly more heavily documented and certainly we see more things going on globally. The things that we think we see globally that we then recognise when it, you know, happens in this country, you'll need to look at some of the storms that we've had over the last 10 years and the damage and the impact that they've caused. Now, without a doubt, with the environmental changes um, that we're all looking at, you know, that's happening all around us, around the globe, of course, these, these extremities events are going to happen. Um, how much more and more over the next 10 years, I couldn't tell you, but they will, dig. there's there's no doubt. But I think, um, as as also I've seen, certainly in the search and rescue world, there's more and more teams like LACE that are popping up, wanting to assist and support local communities, certainly where flood zones have occurred before and will happen again. And certainly anyone that has, um, uh, you know, a large river running through their town or city seem to, um, you know, there seems to be these flood forum groups, these local parishes, things like this, who are tapping more into water awareness courses, and wanting more education on how to act and support. And certainly looking at these, um, these measures that the local services can provide, we have a flood forum group um, in Lancashire, and it goes all the way up to the army for resources. Mm. And I think more and more people are engaging in this now because, like you say, you know, instead of maybe going every 10 or 15 years for an event that you've never seen, it's more like every five or six, you know. And, um, you know, when they come, for the people it happens to, it's always devastating.
0: For sure, yeah. So what's the area that you cover then, in terms of, like, the county?
1: So we can go county wide. We're more than happy to do that. Um, it's really where we're, you know, like I say, like I said at the beginning, we're we're not a statutory service. We're a, we're a secondary service. So really, if um, you know the local fire brigades and stuff like that are suffering and they need more people, then we can go and assist. We're trained to do so. We have the insurances. We have the governance, etc., etc. So we can go and do that. I mean, a, a good example of this is when we first started and because some of us had prior training with these off-road vehicles we actually assisted with the wildfires wow fire, wow wildfires up at um winter hill and things and it found many of the team members going backwards and forwards day in day out to assist the fire crews and um, some of that was just helping beat some of that was uh taking crews by their uh, what's called Haglands up there um, and just basically being around us, like you say, being personnel, helping out wherever we could. And so, yeah, we'll we'll go countywide, no problem. Further afield, we're more than happy, but usually with that, it usually has to go into some kind of national assets, registering to the fact that government are getting involved and they want to pool resources into somewhere. Um and usually that's high up the chain call sort of thing. But if we, if we were asked and we feel we could help, then certainly um our resources could be made available, certainly.
0: Yeah. And so how many volunteers have you got at the charity?
1: Uh to date, uh we have sixteen at the moment on the um on the flood rescue side. We've got countless volunteers that work in our charity shop on Caton Road. Um, I think I think soon now. runs anything up to I think I want to say there's about between twelve and fifteen uh, volunteers who come into the shop and, mm-hmm. and go through generous donations given to us by the public. Um, and that helps uh, creates a base. And uh, yeah, you know it's a it, it, it's it's a full team effort. Yeah. and we're always grateful for the girls in the shop and everything that they do.
0: So if you're a volunteer, kind of on the front line, let's say, and like it's like you said 24 hours a day do you have kind of rotors or or who's the first person who'll get the call from the police at like three in the morning you know come and help us someone's missing like what what's that like for you
1: so basically we have um, an on-call system and so basically we have a specific number for the emergency services to call us and if say i'm fast asleep which could be quite happily the case or i'm not on call what happens is it goes down to the next number that rings for 10 seconds and it goes down to the next number. If it doesn't, if nobody picks up, it'll just go around the chain. So usually someone run, runs the on-call roster. So we make sure if someone's going away for the weekend, they're taken off and we put somebody else on and can answer the phone. From there, um, we then have a database. Um, it's a guard town system. So we know at any point who's on-call and who isn't on-call and that's a live approach so um, members are always encouraged to make sure that their status is correct so if you're at work and you can't be on call that's absolutely fine but if you can be available no problem and then from there, when the police ask us for a resource or whether or not we can help or assist with being the missing persons or even putting the bolts out, I then look on the database, see what's, see who or isn't available, whether or not we can be a credible asset to them. And sometimes, you know, being a volunteer team, we may have to turn around and say, no, we can't help because everybody's at work or, you know, we simply can mm-hmm. um, assist you at that time and um, you know these things happen it's real life it's not hollywood we've all got lives and uh, but we always try and stay available as much as possible and to be honest with you with the credit to all the volunteers they do an amazing job at dedicating themselves uh to
0: this so if you're on call do you do you sleep well <laughs> i'm just thinking if i was kind of anticipating a call potentially like I don't know if I'd be able to fully switch off or I'd be checking my phone every time I've turned over. Like, Are you a bit on edge?
1: Well, me personally, no, because I used to live with a pager at the side of me that could go off as many times a day or any time of day. And to be honest with you, that's just conditioning with me. Mm. For the rest of the rescue team, because we're still in our infancy, really, of call-outs, um, you know, we, we, we haven't had that many, and certainly not to what a lot of um, other services get each year. Um, We're still yet to really go down that area, you know, Mm. to give you some idea. The last call out we had was probably about 10 months ago. But that's just because of, well, the way it works really. At, At the end of the day, the statutory services have to warrant themselves and there are bigger agencies and other agencies out there who will get called upon, and, and it's something that we have to accept being a volunteer service and the new boys in town. And the, the, the fact is, is that um, being on call isn't something that's going to happen every day, and you're absolutely right, it can happen any time, any place, uh, but really it's a case of if you want that good night's sleep, you're a volunteer at the end of the day. Take yourself off. But usually um, we're not called the POM on a daily basis Mm. or sometimes a weekly basis. So usually when it comes out, I've got some idea that there's an incident going on um, and it's going to be protracted. And usually it's quite a civil phone call that says, "Look, Mike, I'm probably going to need to mobilize you in the next few hours if this carries on. Um then I will warn the team, I will let the team know, look, you need to make sure your availability is up to date. And then from there, I keep them posted. And then if the incident has been concluded without me deploying the team, I'll make sure everybody's stood down so they know that.
0: But like you said, even if you're not um, called upon by, by the authorities and by the emergency services, you... It's not like you're not doing anything, you know, you, you are still, like, educating people, you're doing the, the what, you're, you're kind of prevention, aren't you, as well? And then yeah. the emergency services are, are more reactive, aren't they? Because they have to be, they're not going to... Do, do you see what I mean? Like, they'll, when there's an emergency that's been rung on 999, they'll go and treat that, whereas you're preventing stuff on the Loo and you're kind of trying to stop the need. Is that right? Yeah, 100%. I mean, to give you some idea, Um, I was once told this is a theory that you look at things in your preventative and if your education is spreading well enough and you're
1: getting the word across good enough, then you should never have to commit to a save. And actually, if you have to commit to a save, then you've failed. Mm. And it sounds a really daft thing that people might say, oh, no, no, but surely you want to make rescues. Not really. I remember once saying to one lad, he said, he said, oh, I'm going to go in the water. I went, please don't. I said, the river's running a bit fast. He said, why, what, are you frightened of? I said, then I'm going to have to go in after you and get myself wet. And that sounds really dumb. But the point being is, you know, there are no heroes in services. And we're all human. And if we can, like I say, give people the education and let them know of the dangers they're going to face, then hopefully, rationally, they'll take those decisions to go, yeah, maybe that's a bad idea. And certainly when we're talking about things that the people can prevent, like floods and stuff like that, at least if, um, you know, we can make sure that people are comfortable, uh, you know, if there's a flood situation and we can be there, help the, help um, extract people and, and help, um, you know, keep people safe that way, then that's all we can do really. Um The statutory services are always um, at a stretch and they always will be because they do such good work, but there's so much of it. Um, I just feel that for ourselves, our place is um, helping that preventative measure. And like you say, even though we don't get called out every week, we're still running Young Life Savers twice a week and that is a massive dedication to those who do it.
0: Yeah, exactly. And so, you know, in terms of being in October November December time um what would you say are the things that people need to watch out for or some tips you'd give as we get to this time of year to kind of stop themselves getting in danger oh that's a broad one um I think it's like anything else um the, (laughs) the funny
1: ones we always go out to is um certainly when there's been a lot of Flood water, heavy water, increased over say like like this week for instance, we've had a lot of water over a week. But because we've had such a drought period, the the lakes and rivers will cope with that. Even though there might be a bit of a uh, um, uh, you know a, a flood presence on the on the loon and things like that, it'll it'll soon pass. But certainly if we've had it, certainly midwinter, it's people going out to see how high the river is and how close they can get to it and how aggressive, they see how aggressive the water is, yet they still want to get to even closer. It's those kind of things that if you don't really need to do it, and you can stand at a safe distance and observe it, that it stops, that, and that, that does stop me sleeping in, you know, at night sort of thing. As far as flood goes, um, if you're in an area of flood, there's, there's always things that the council are trying to do you know, making sure that uh, drains and gutters and everything else are, uh, you know, cleared, uh, that uh, there's good escape for the water and where it can go to, but, you know, it's common sense, isn't it, this time of year, as much as anything. If you you don't need to be there, or you feel whatever you're doing is going to, you know, cause harm, then, you know, think accordingly and, and act accordingly. And if you are going to do that, then, certainly you know make sure that you're wearing correct equipment correct you know ppe if you are in, you know engaging in say paddleboard and things like that this time of year people do go out and try it but quite often you'll see them because they think they're on an inflatable they're not wearing a, a suitable personal flotation device or a helmet themselves because well everybody thinks they're indestructible but unfortunately it only takes one slip one fall one knock And, you know, you're in a different place instantly. So it's just common sense values, really.
0: Yeah. And I guess, do you need more volunteers or what's kind of the the qualities you look for or do they need prior experience and training or do you train them up?
1: Well, we've got a training program and we do train people up. Um, who joined the rescue team. I think, as I mentioned earlier, we a lot of volunteer groups are all suffering from the post-pandemic, um, I'm going to put it, wake up, which is, for me, people having the spare time. The reality is is that now, you know, we all need to see that mortgages are going up, fuel bills are going up, the price, the cost of living is is, is stretching everyone's pockets. So having, A, the spare time, to volunteer and the money because one of the things being a volunteer it will cost you is time and money because whether or not like me the base is 16 miles away one way so a round trip you know it's 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 one of those things where you have to say to yourself you know can you spare the time can you spare the money and quite often people who enter into like a rescue service like this don't realise just how much commitment is involved and you know I always say to anybody if you're going to do it then you know put that first because I always want and I always tell everybody in the team your family comes first I know what it's like to be a retained fireman and how that impacts on your family life quite hard because sometimes you just can't go out you've got to stay on call whereas we try not to do that at Lacer, but certainly um, you know if someone's keen enough and they want to um, you know join then you know and whether whether or not you want to you know tin rattle and raise money or actually be on the rescue team uh, you know I welcome you know we welcome anybody absolutely anybody it's just a case of um, you know uh, writing into us and um, contacting us sort of thing
0: definitely and so finally why don't you just tell me how listeners can get involved or help the charity and or get in touch with you if if they want to Okay, so um, we can go on the website, first
1: of all, www.lasar.org.uk, and if you go on that, there are obviously links. Um, If you'd like to email the charity directly, that's info at lasar.org.uk, and um, you can find us basically on Catern Road, our basis of Catern Road, you go into Lancaster, and, um, yeah, you know, you'll find the applications online if you want to fill one in, um, you know, and you feel you've got the time, because that's the key. As much as anything, it's nothing to do with capabilities. We'll we'll work on that, we can develop anybody. It's more about your time. And if you've got the time to spare, to join um, join us as a family, and we are, we're a great family, we're a great, you know, set of people, uh, all with the same um, enthusiasm. Um, then feel free to come and and
0: join us. Well Mike it's been so interesting to chat to you and just learn more about what the charity does but I think what struck me was really the prevention that you're trying to and and successfully achieving so I just want to thank you so much for coming on the podcast today and chatting.
1: Thank you so much and thanks for taking the time to interview.
0: Thanks for listening and we'll see you next week. To keep up to date with all things from Alanxia Lass, follow on Facebook and Instagram at From a Lass.